coming in on the Zoom app, we want to welcome you. Use the Zoom app. You get that by going to BibleQuest.tv on the Tuesday edition. And tomorrow, which is Wednesday, you can click on the Wednesday edition, and Jeff will be hosting that uh, program. But we're glad you're here. We want you to give us your feedback as we go through the conversation. So let me bring in the panelists. Uh, Jeff Smeltzer, good to see you today. How are you, Jeff? Hey, Drew, doing just fine. Great. And Jonathan Sadler, we're glad to have you here. How are you doing? Yeah, it's good to see you guys. Okay. Now, Scott may be joining us, but we'll wait and see. He's out on an emergency right now, but we hope uh, he'll be coming in soon. Um, okay. With all of that out of the way, the business side of things, um, Jesus made, made a lot of bold statements while he walked upon this earth. Some statements way over the top by normal standards if, if you're just a normal guy. Can mm -hmm. you give me some of those statements, Jeff and Jonathan? Well, one that comes to mind is when he says, before Abraham was born, I was. Whoa. That's, that's kind of astonishing, you know? Yeah, and they responded by saying, wait a minute, you're only so many years old. How can you say you were here then? Right. <laughs> Mm -hmm. what, Jonathan, yeah. you got? Yeah, in, uh, in Mark 2, where Jesus is uh, talking to the paralytic and he tells him that his sins are forgiven. Um, that's a pretty bold claim that can't be made by anybody. And you sure thought it was bold, too. They yeah. thought, wow, right. what kind of man has the right to just forgive sins? Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And when Jesus makes these bold statements, and he's, he's made a lot of them, he always has something to back it up to prove what he says such as in the case you brought up jonathan how did he prove that he had the power to forgive sins what did he do yeah so in that in that account whenever they uh whenever they, the friends bring the paralytic there and jesus says your sins are forgiven the the jews standing around are skeptical obviously and uh, <laughs> convincing themselves that he's blasphemous and jesus reading their heart looks to them and says what's easier um, to say, is it easier to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, or son, your sins are forgiven? And his point is, it's easier to say, son, your sins are forgiven, because you can't prove that. But then Jesus says, so that you can know that I have the authority to forgive sins, he heals the paralytic, and he takes up his bed and walks away. So, backs it up with that miracle um, that, that he can heal the paralytic. And we're going to look at another statement uh, that he makes in uh, John 14, I believe it believe it is, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Another bold statement. I mean, if someone made that statement today, he, you know, they'd be laughed out of, no one even remember what who he is. And yet 2,000 years later, we have Jesus's statements still credible today as they were the day he made them. Uh, so, so Jeff, um, we're going to be talking about the way, the truth, and the life. You want to start us off with what, what he's talking about there with the way? Well, let's just start with that phrase, I am the way. Uh, you know, the, the word way here is a word for a road. He is the, the avenue, the way. And what he's talking about is he's the way to God. In the end of the verse, he says, no one comes to the Father but by me. So this is one of these exclusive statements. In the world we live in today, exclusivity, saying something is the only way, that's not a popular idea. We want to say, well, all roads lead to heaven. There's all sorts of ways, you know, to each his own, all of that kind of thing. The idea that somebody would come along and say, 
I am the way. No one comes to the Father but by me. Um, that would be looked at as very arrogant, uh, as, as exclusive in a bad way. But the thing is, Jesus is the only way to the Father. And if we understand what it takes to be with the Father, we can understand that. Uh, do you guys ever run into people who, um, uh, there's a man I know, he is, he is seriously, seriously ill. Uh, he, he may not live long, um, but he has lived a life apart from the Word of God, and he has family members who love him and would want him to be right with God. He gets angry when uh, they talk with him, and his attitude is, so you're saying that just because I don't believe what you believe, or I don't do what you do, that I'm not going to go to heaven, that I'm going to go to hell. Um, do you ever run into people with that attitude? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, make my it, family members. Yeah. they make getting to heaven a matter of, well, why should you go any more than why I, you know, why do you have any more right to go to heaven than I do? You know, I'm, I'm as good as you are, or why are you my judge and that kind of thing. Here's the problem. The thing that keeps us out of heaven or the thing that keeps us from coming to God is the same thing that caused Adam and Eve to be separated from God. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, what did God do? He punished them, separated them. They separated, separated them. That's right. Separated them from himself. It says he drove them out, put a cherubim with flaming sword or the cherubim with flaming sword there so that they could not come back. That's a picture of what sin does to our relationship with God. And what they did was they ate some fruit they weren't supposed to eat. And all of us can think of things we've done in our life, which are at least that bad. Most of us can think of several things that we've done that are much worse than that. If that separated them from God, we need to understand our sin separates us from God, right? Mm -hmm. So if, if here are three of us sitting here, uh, if some of us are, are going to get to be with God and some of us aren't, well, we all plan to be with God, but we're not going to be able to be with God just because I'm a really good person or I'm better than somebody else. That's not it. The, the problem is the sin that separated me from God has to be removed. And what does that? Following after Jesus, Jesus' blood. Jesus' blood, Jesus' death, the atoning sacrifice where he took the punishment for our sin. So when we talk about Jesus being the way and no one comes to the Father but by him, it's because he is the one who can solve the problem that separates us from God. He is the one that can take away our sin. His sacrifice does it. It's the only thing that does it. And we have to become a part of that sacrifice. We have to become a part of Jesus in order to have access to the Father. So this is not a, this is not a thing about people today in some kind of competition, who's better or who knows more or something like that. It's a matter of who is with Jesus because he's the way. Right. So practically speaking, what about Islam? What about Hinduism? What about Buddhism? Um, can I get to God by those means? No. Not if Jesus is the way. Nothing gets us to God other than Jesus. You being good, you being uh, generous, you being kind, you being loving, that doesn't get you to God. Yeah. The problem that separates you from God is not the good things you've done or the good things I've done. My problem is my sin. And, and Buddha 
Hindu, Islam, none of those things take away my sin. Jesus takes away my sin. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, maybe not the, the exact same idea, but following along with that, Paul actually seemingly dealt with um, an idea in Corinth that was going on in 1 Corinthians 1, that there were these different factions going on in the church in Corinth. And, and Paul brings up that idea in 1 Corinthians 1, where he says uh, some people are following after Apollos, some are after Cephas, some after Paul. And Paul says, what I mean is that each of you, and this is 1 Corinthians 1 verse 12, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. And he says, is Christ divided? And then I like this. He says, was Paul crucified for you? Right. Says the name of Paul. No, Jesus is the one who was crucified for you. It's his blood, his death that saves you, that reconciles you to God. I, I didn't do that. Uh, Muhammad can't do that. No one else can do that but Jesus. And, and right. so Paul makes a similar point there. You know, no one else was crucified for you. They're not the way. Jesus is the way. That's right. I could, I could see some you know, people get angry with uh, us when we make those kinds of statements. And, and they, they sometimes make it personal, like we're saying that. But it, it's not us that are saying it. This is, we're just repeating or reading what Jesus himself has said. So the argument has to be with Jesus, not with me. Wouldn't you say that, that that's the case, Jeff? Yeah, that's right. I mean, here, here God created us, and we've sinned. We've separated ourselves from God, and he has made a way that we can come back to him through Jesus. And I can say, well, I don't think that I should have to be in Christ. I don't think that I should have to follow his teachings. Well, you know, you can argue with God, but he's the one that has made, the, made it possible for us to be reconciled to him. And he said, this is the way it is. It's through Jesus. So I can argue with him, but it's not going to change the fact that's the way to God. Jesus is the way, the road, the pathway. And someone can't accuse you. At least I don't think someone can accuse you. Well, that's the way you're interpreting it, right? I mean, it's clear as a bell. He is making the statement. He is the way. Mm-hmm. How else could I interpret that? It's, you know, if, if some man came along today and I don't know, maybe a televangelist or some self-proclaimed prophet or whatever. And he said, I am the way no one comes to God, but by me, we would disagree with him, but we'd understand what he's saying. Well, let's understand what Jesus is saying. He said, I am the way. No one comes to the Father but by me. And we understand what he's saying. Now, understanding what he's saying, then also understand he demonstrated uh, why we can believe it's true. He went to the cross, died on the cross, and then conquered death, was raised from the dead, validating all his claims to being the messenger from God, the Son of God, who comes to take away our sin. And that's what I was saying. When Jesus makes statements, he always produce something to prove the statement. Now that leads us to the next uh, item in this very one sentence. I am the way. And the next one is, he says, I am the truth, mm-hmm. which leads to what we're talking about. If people don't want to accept it. Well, they don't have to believe it, but he says, I am the truth, not me. Him, Jesus is the truth. Jonathan. Yeah. And, and so John actually, he starts out his gospel um, with this idea that Jesus is the truth. Um, in, in chapter one of John, uh, he says in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. And we go on down to verse 14 to identify that word as Jesus, the, the word became flesh and it dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son of God, the only son from the father full of grace and truth. So this word who is Jesus 
is the son of God, full of grace and truth. And that, that statement that Jesus is the son of God, it has a lot of, uh, a lot of implications. I, I think people um, today, when we're talking about this in, in, our, in our society today, um, there's a, a huge push of this postmodern idea um, where there is no absolute truth. There is, uh, everything is relative. Um, you decide what's true to you and that type of thing. And so hearing something that this is an absolute statement, this absolute statement that there is a God, that Jesus is his son, the implications that come from those truths are um, what people what turns up people off, I think, um, to what actual truth is. And so Jesus saying that he is the truth, it's interesting that he doesn't say, I, I am honest or I speak the truth, but I am right. the truth. Right. Um, and and that's, that's kind of a different statement. And it reminds me of a conversation that he has with, um, with Pilate um, just, uh, I think, a day after he makes the statement that he is truth whenever he's on trial in John chapter 18 mm-hmm. with Pilate and, and Pilate. Um, doesn't find any fault in him, and he has this conversation. I'll just read this this whole section in John 18, starting in verse 33. Pilate enters his headquarters, and he calls uh, Jesus to him, and he says, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say that about me? And Pilate said, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might be delivered uh, over to that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. And then Pilate said to him, "So you are a king." And Jesus answered, "You say that I am a king for this purpose. I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice." And then Pilate says to him, "What is truth?" Um, and so there, there's that same idea. What, what is the truth? Well, Jesus identifies the truth there in John 18 as I am the king. Um, and that's a truth that gets further expounded on by his uh, apostles in Acts chapter 2 after Jesus has died and after he's resurrected, like we said, confirming that he is the way to God. His uh, apostles take that truth and go and share it with the Jews on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And, and after the, the Peter sermon in Acts 2, the statement that he comes to is now you can know for certain that God has made this man, Jesus, Lord and Christ. Now that's the truth that Jesus is talking about where he is the truth. He is absolute truth. Everything that comes out of Jesus's mouth, that that's the standard for, for life, for how to live, for how to get to God, for how to be reconciled to God from your sins. And that makes him Lord and Christ or King Messiah. Um, and, and that's, not appealing to some people in the world because if you're if you're going to appeal to truth that means that there's one right way and that right way means that there's somebody above you who tells you how to live your life who who owns you who is your lord who is your king um and so jesus making that statement it's a it's a bold statement but um like we've been saying backed up with with all kinds of evidence um, in in his resurrection in in the popular conception truth has become a devalued commodity um and, and what I mean by that, people don't see that it matters what is true. Uh, if you, th- if you, th- there's a statement in John eight: um, If you abide in my word, then are you truly my disciples? Jesus says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Uh, there, what what we see is truth matters. You, there's a course that you can choose which will make you free, and there's a course that you can choose which will leave you in slavery, in slavery to your sin. Let's put it this way. 
Guy's out in the desert. He's had nothing to drink for three days. He's near death, and he comes upon two glasses. And one of those glasses has poison in it, and one of those glasses has pure water in it. <laughs> What's the truth? Which one is which? Uh, starts to make me think of the scene in uh, Princess Bride. But, uh, <laughs> you know, now truth matters. Somebody can come along and say, oh, this is the glass that has pure water. No, oh, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Well, truth is relative. No, you know what? In that case, truth matters. I want to know. One of those is going to give me life and one is going to lead to death. You go through, you know, the book of John. John says in John 1 and um, verse 14 that you quoted just a minute ago, Jonathan, where the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he says, we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then we get to John 8. Um, If you abide in Jesus' word, you'll know, you'll be his disciples. You shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. And then in John 14, I am the truth. And then in John 18, where you went just a moment ago, Jesus says, everyone that is of the truth hears my word. And then Pilate's response is much like the world's response today. What's truth? <laughs> well, if you're out in the desert, and you've got those two glasses, you're not going to be dismissive of, of truth. You're going to want to know the truth. Yeah. On the opposite side of that, why do people want to say that? Why, why do people are so quick to say, what's truth? Or there is no truth. Jonathan, you hinted at it. I think it was you that said that. What, what's the motivation in most cases? Well, the, the implications that come in accepting a truth um, change your lifestyle, change um, what you need to pursue. Um, all kinds of different changes come with accepting a truth um, in, in something. And, and in, in Jeff's example of the, the two glasses of water, uh, the, the importance of truth, um, it, it's so valuable because in, in that instance and in the instance where Jesus says, I am the truth, the value of truth is the difference between living and dying. <laughs> are, are you going to drink the poison water or are you going to drink the pure water? That's the difference between living and dying and knowing the truth. That, that's, um, that's what the value is. The same with Jesus. Understanding the truth about Jesus and this truth that, that uh, Peter will make very clear in Acts chapter 2 that he's Lord in Christ. What that does, like Jesus says in Acts cha- or in John chapter eight, it sets you free. And, and what it sets you free from is what Jeff was talking about um, all the way with with the way that that we're separated from God, and that's not a place that you want to be in. And understanding that truth that comes from Jesus, it's it's the difference in life and death, but not just not just living and dying on the earth, but life and death for eternity, uh, and that truth that Jesus has. Well, then we go back to the way. And we connect the way and the truth. And instead of two glasses, we've got two roads. Or you could say a whole bunch of roads, and only one of those roads, only one of those ways is the way to God. And I'm going to pick one. And it's the old door number one, door number two, door number three thing, whatever. I'm going to pick one of those ways. Only one goes to the Father. That's Jesus. That's the way to the Father. That's the truth. So now it matters to know, is this true or not? So he says, I am the way and I am the truth. How do you, uh, Jeff, how do you deal with uh, an individual when they say that to you? Um, oh, there is no such thing as absolute truth. How, how do you deal with that? You know, it depends on the situation. It depends on the person. Now I sound like a relativist, don't I? Well, it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, for some people, you know, for some people it may be, 
useful to kind of make a philosophical point. If their idea is there is no absolute truth, well, that kind of sounds like an absolute. You know, they contradict themselves to some extent. They're saying, well, there is this one absolute truth, and that is that there is no absolute truth. Well, how do you know that that one absolute truth is true? And in other cases, it's just useful to get very practical and to talk about just in life. We do find things that it, it, this is true and that's false. Uh, if you put corn syrup in your gas tank, it's going to ruin your car. That's true. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. It doesn't matter um, if you really want to do it. It doesn't matter what you believe about it. Uh, there is truth there. And you can put corn syrup in your gas tank and believe that that's going to get you to down the road wherever you want to go. But it's not going to happen because there is such thing as truth. And so for a lot of people, just a practical realization that in life things are true or false. Many things are. Um, then we start to say, oh, okay, okay. So maybe it's a little silly to say there's no such thing as truth. If anyone's listening and you want to comment on what we're talking about, we invite you to post your text messages either in the Q&A box or the chat box in the uh, app, the Zoom app, or if you're coming in on the YouTube channel, use the comment box down below the video. I, ha I have an uncle who was preaching in, in the Czech Republic, and uh, he was running into a lot of people who um, like to get caught up in all kinds of human philosophies and mix them all together. And he was studying with a man who said, we don't exist. We're not there. Um, so you I'd said, get out a pin right now. I'd get out a pin and just pinch him. Well, he did one better. He punched the guy. Oh, he did? <laughs> I'm not recommending this, but he punched the guy and it kind of caught the guy and the guy was, you know, like that. And, and then immediately the guy caught himself because if he's not there, he can't act surprised as if he's aware that something just happened to him and hit him in the shoulder because that would imply he was there. <laughs> so, you know, he found the truth on that one. Sometimes people just get so caught up in their, in their philosophies that it doesn't jibe with reality. Uh, and they just need to be brought back to reality. Mm -hmm. I think that's that's the uh, hold on, John, John. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that's that's I think the motive. We get caught up in ourselves, in our philosophies, what we want, rather than looking to what truth, the objective truth that really exists outside of ourselves. I'm sorry, Jonathan. Well, what do you what do you all suppose is the significance in Jesus saying, not I have the truth, but I am the truth. That is a major difference. That is a major difference. So do you want to expound on that? It would it be much different than him saying, I, uh, he is the light rather than he has the light. Um, he is the way rather than he has the way. Uh, you know, when, when you think about Jesus, it's not just he's somebody who knows how to get to God. He is the way to God. He's not just somebody who knows what the truth is. He is the truth. He is the truth. He's the word. You know, in, in John 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then, Jonathan, you quoted verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the word of God, the communication of God, um, became flesh. Well, that's Jesus. So Jesus is the communication of God to man. 
just mm-hmm. just for what it's worth, the word logos, which is the word translated word, mm-hmm. uh, we get our word logo from that. And a logo communicates an idea of the Nike logo, the whoosh or swoosh, whichever one you want to call it, communicates the idea you'll run fast if you wear these shoes. Um, Jesus is the logos or the word or the communication of God to man. And so it's not just that he has the word, he is the word and he is the truth and he is the life. I wonder how many of us really have that concept of this is a bold statement. Uh, Randy had uh, just put in a, a text. He says, when the proverb writer says in Proverbs twenty three twenty three, buy the truth and never sell it. Is this the same concept? So I think the concept there is valuing truth. And that's the problem that people today have is they don't value the truth. Uh, somebody can know the truth, but they can want something else. And so in effect, they sell the truth. There are people in the Bible who knew the truth. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus ended up telling him, sell everything that you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. At that point, he had the truth, but he wasn't willing to buy it and own it. He wanted something else. Uh, the various examples in the Bible we could cite where people uh, heard the truth and even came to know the truth. Uh, Ahab, back in the Old Testament, um, he he knew <laughs> that he didn't want to hear from Micaiah the prophet. He wanted to hear all his false prophets because they'd tell him what he wanted to hear, namely, in this instance, that he'd be victorious in battle. Mm-hmm. Micaiah comes and says, oh, sure, you'll be victorious. And Ahab knew better than that. He says, you know, you never say anything good about me. That's not, tell me, tell me the truth. And Micaiah says, in essence, without going into detail, he says, in essence, you're, you're going to get killed. He said, Israel's going to be like lost sheep straying on the mountain because they're going to be without their leader. You're going to get killed. Mm-hmm. Ahab at that point had heard the truth. And what did he do? Did he say, oh, I better not go into battle? No, he said, okay, I'll disguise myself. He's going into battle anyway. And he got killed. So that's the thing about buying the truth and selling it not. If you believe there is truth, and when you hear the truth, value it. Set aside what you wanted to be true. Accept the truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we started off with Jesus making the statement, he is the way, comma, he is the truth, which leads the way, validating it that he's the truth, so he knows the way. And then he makes that last part of the statement is, he is the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, but he is the life. Now that's like building up. Now the life it's interesting that he says that. He, he says that to them. This is in uh, John 14. Uh, actually makes the statement in verse 6. But back up a little bit. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? Which then leads to the statement, I am the way. Mm-hmm. Before Thomas says that, Jesus starts telling them about him going away and that he's going to come back and prepare a place for them and uh, that you'll be able to be with me, and you know where I'm going. Uh, Verse 4, he says, and you know the way where I'm going. That's when Thomas says, we don't know that. I mean, how do we know the way? And I find that interesting because uh, this is the last, uh, this is what, a few days prior before his uh, crucifixion. The night before he's crucified. Outside this, yeah, right. You can't get any closer to it. And he's explaining to him he's going away. And they say, well, we don't know the way. And he says, well, he says, yeah, you know the way. No, we don't. 
and I find that interesting because you have to back up even further within that approximately the same week, maybe a week before this happened, uh, his good friend Lazarus becomes sick. And in fact, it's, uh, he waits two days before he goes to see Lazarus. They, notif they notified him. This is back up in uh, John 11. And he says, uh, this is not going to lead to death. He says that statement to his apostles, his disciples first. And then he says, well, we're going to stay here for two more days. There's some discussion as to what's going on. And then he says, okay, well, now we're going back to Judea. And I think it was Thomas. I'm not sure, but he says, wait a minute, we're going to go back there. They just tried to kill you. You're going to go back there now? Yeah. Yeah, we got to take care of, 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 of Lazarus. He fell asleep. And, and of course, they say, well, if he's only gone to sleep, let, yeah, he'll wake up. So it's no big deal. We're going to go back there and risk our lives. And he had explained to them, no, he's dead. And so they go back there. And now, how long is Lazarus dead in, in, the, in, the, in the tomb when Jesus arrives? Well, uh, yeah. Four days. I think it's four days, it said. Verse yeah, 39. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. He wanted to make sure that he was good and dead. Not from his point of view. He knew he was. But from the people's point of view. He's in the tomb. There's no way he's going to be just in a coma and wake up. He's there, dead. And what did uh, Mary and also her sister, um, is it Martha? Yeah. Uh -huh. What did they say to him? It, at which point? When he when they saw him, he, he they run out to him, or she runs out first, and then oh, Mary yeah. comes out second. Lord, if you'd been here, uh, my brother would not have died. Exactly. Now, this is leading up to what Jesus is going to say in chapter 14, which we read, he is right. the life. Mm-hmm. Well, he, said, he starts talking to her about the, the resurrection. You know he's going to live. And she says, oh, yeah, yeah, and the resurrection, meaning the ultimate resurrection, right? They weren't understanding what Jesus was all about. They, they weren't understanding that he could raise the dead right now. And the same thing with, with Mary. Mary says the same thing. Oh, if you were only here, Lord, he wouldn't have died. And so he says, where, where is he? He says, come on, I'll show you. And they go, I'm paraphrasing here. Um, and they go and they take him to the tomb and he tells, in fact, he told them both, I am the resurrection. He said in, in the 24, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me. Now this goes back to what you were saying, Jeff, whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said, yeah, I believe it. But she was also referring to the future resurrection. Where is he? After Mary comes up and says the same thing, where is he? And they took him to the, to the tomb. He went, in fact, the shortest verse there is in chapter uh, 1135, Jesus wept when he saw all the multitudes there. And they also said, the people said, how much he loved him, meaning his good friend Lazarus. If he was only here, he could have, he healed other people. So, they all know this man's dead. Jesus could have done something. And then he makes that statement down in 44. The man who died, I'm sorry, no, 43. And when he said all these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The people were, I would say, in shock. Amazement. The darkness 
of that opening, I can just imagine what happening. The darkness of that opening starts filling up with this figure of this man, all wrapped up in his burial wrappings, and not a word. <laughs> not a word. Actually, there is a word. Uh, some of them were saying, some of them believed, but the Pharisees said what? When they found out that this had happened, and this is leading to the point, what did the Pharisees want to do when they heard that Jesus actually raised a man in front of so many people who's been dead four days? What did they want to do? Well, it says uh, some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. And so they gathered a council. And in verse 53, they started plotting how to put Jesus to death. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you saw a man raised from the dead by this man, Jesus, would you want to kill this man, Jesus? <laughs> Interestingly, not only did they want to kill Jesus, but in the next chapter, they also want to put Lazarus to death. <laughs> yeah, they said, look, he raised that guy from the dead, and, and why did they want to kill him? Because he's evidence that Jesus is the life and the way and the truth, and they don't want to believe that that's the right way, and they don't want to believe that that's the truth. So they want to destroy him and take away the evidence that points to him. <laughs> What kind of logic, Jeff, is that? It's the, you know, it, it's... I don't, and that's what I, I go around. I mean, you know, people look at me or say things like, I'm crazy. You know, I'm believing this man was raised from the dead. Well, I have evidence of everything that happened, but these guys saw it right in front of their eyes. And they want to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> and then he comes out with that statement a few days later. I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that's, that's the truth. That's what he said. Not me, not my words. It's not Jeff's words or John. That's, that's Jesus's words. And you know, that's not politically correct today, though. That's, that's too narrow-minded. And people are going to disagree with us on that. Well, I'm sorry. If you're disagreeing with it, uh, you're not really disagreeing with me. Unless you can show me from scriptures that that's not the truth. That's what Jesus said. It's not something I said. Do <coughs> you want to and add after, to that? And then after, uh, after Jesus is resurrected, how John ends just to tie it all together, how John kind of ends his, his book um, in chapter 20. Um, he, in verse 30, he says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Uh, and Jesus, uh, another time in, in John 10, um, he says that he came to give life and to give it abundantly. Um, and throughout the rest of, of the Bible, you can read um, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul, Paul zeroes in on this idea um, about Jesus having control over life and death. And, and, and he makes the statement, look, if Jesus has been raised from the dead, that means he has no power over life and death. And, and that means that you believed in vain and, and, and we're to Christians are the most pitied out of all people in the world. It, everything that Jesus says here, like this is one of the most powerful statements that Jesus makes, that he's the way, the truth and the life, because that, that's what Christianity is all about. Um, when you break it down. That's the cornerstone. His resurrection is the cornerstone. And, and just prior to that, in, in chapter 14, let me back up a little bit. Just prior to that, in verse 1 
of 14, uh, Jesus says to them, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Well, why was their heart troubled? Well, because back up there in verse uh, 30, well, in the first few, the last few verses of chapter 13 is when he explains to uh, Peter that you're going to, is that where it is? Where he, mm -hmm. You're, you're going to deny me three times. Well, yeah. No, Lord, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to, I'll lay down my life for you. He says, no, you're going to deny me before the crow, uh, uh, the rooster crows three times. And that's the very last verse in the preceding chapter. Yes, and that's it. And and uh, you can see why he then goes into the next thing. Don't worry, though. Don't don't let your heart, because that would trouble me if Jesus said that to me, you know, I'm Peter. And I, so the point is, at that point, Peter was willing to die. Right? What happens in the garden? Well, they come to arrest Jesus. Peter draws his sword and takes off the ear of Malchus, the servant of the high priest. Would you say Peter was willing to die then for Jesus? Yeah. It, I mean, he was. he's facing a whole mob of people with weapons. And he's got this sword. He pulls it out. You know, you take off the, you go for the head of the servant of the high priest. You're probably not going to survive this encounter. Um, so in he that wasn't a coward, he wasn't a coward. No. Uh, but then of course, Jesus told him, put up his sword. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And Jesus came for this to die on the cross. And so then Peter's a little confused and he goes to the court where Jesus is inside being tried that night. And Peter starts being, in, he finds himself in danger. He's in jeopardy because the people start associating him with Jesus. And he, and he's, he's leery of being associated with Jesus who is being condemned by the priest inside. And, and this doesn't look like this is going to end up victorious. And so uh, he denies that he even knows Jesus. Three times, just Three like times. the Lord told him. Yeah. And so, and in fact, all of the disciples scatter, all of them, desert him. Not one comes to his defense. The way, the life, the truth, and the life. And yet, then they saw everything he's done for the last three and a half years, and yet they run and hide. Because their concept of him had, had changed. That night, everything changed. And when they saw him hanging on the cross, the, the crucifixion does more than kill a man. It, it humiliates him. You don't want to ever be on that cross. The Roman government designed this for that purpose. And well, who, what else is about the, the hanging on a tree? A little hint. What, what else about that statement? Well, under the Jewish law, cursed is any man who hangs upon a tree. Um, I think that's what you're referring to. So here, this is a very They believed them. And they believed the Lord. They believed God. That's true. But go ahead. This is a very different picture than they had seen of Jesus. You know, they had seen Jesus walking on the water, unafraid of the storm. They had seen uh, mm -hmm. Jesus able to pass through when a crowd came to take him, throw him headlong uh, down the cliff in, in Luke 4. Uh, they had seen Jesus do many mighty miracles where he could overpower demons, powerful demons. And, and so Jesus, as long as they're with Jesus, everything's good. He's powerful. And all of a sudden, they see Jesus arrested and in the control of his adversaries and being uh, smitten by them, being slapped around, being falsely accused, and, and then nailed to a cross. And this is different than what they had seen before. Totally different. And that's what caused them to lose all of the faith, understanding of who he was. Now, if Jesus 
was just a good prophet, not really the son of God. That statement or those bold statements is the way, the truth and the life would have been, had to have been said by a madman. Oh, sure. Any man, who, any man today who would go around saying the things Jesus said, say, uh, I am the way no one comes to the father, but by me, who says, if you believe in me, you'll never die. Uh, those kinds of statements. I was before Abraham was born, making those kinds of statements. We would say the guy is a nut. If he's not a nut, he's an outright liar and a fraud, but he's probably a nut. Uh, that's what and we, that's the way they looked at him on the cross. And he was such a nut or a liar if he wasn't telling the truth. Bingo. So th- we're, we're left with those two alternatives. Either he was who he claimed to be, he was the Son of God, and he was all those things, the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. Or we're going to have to say, you know, Jesus was a fraud or a liar, uh, a fraud or, or a nutcase. We can't say he was a really, really good man and insightful and thoughtful and had a good message, uh, a great teacher, but he wasn't really God. We can't say that. If he wasn't really who he said he was, then he's a nut or, and or a liar. And if he wasn't who he said he was, you and I would not be talking about this man today. That's right. He would have been, right. he would have been forgotten in the first generation if he didn't come out of that grave. And yet the whole world divides time based on his life. We say it's 2019 and it's 2019 all around the world. And we're measuring the years from the time of Jesus, from the time of his birth. And why is that? Because the whole world has been impacted so powerfully by this man. Doesn't sound like a lying nut. No, it does not. The way, well, the truth, and the life. We've just got about three minutes, Drew. We had we have a, a lot of people um, watching us live today. Uh, maybe maybe we could close with just a little bit of trivia. See if we can get some interaction, some reaction from some of our viewers. Would you be up for that? Oh, I like that. What, what do you have in mind? Well, this is, this is kind of a trick question, but uh, Jonathan alluded earlier to the shortest verse. Let's see if any of our viewers can come up with the shortest verse in the Bible. I had some young men come up to me at church yes, uh, Sunday and say such and such was the shortest verse, and they had it wrong. And let's see if you all can get the shortest verse. And oh, if they were, pay- I quoted that verse. I wonder if people. No, I'm going to catch you. I'm going to catch you. Oh, oh, <laughs> it's going to be what you think. Okay, okay. <laughs> see if our see if any of our viewers can come up with the shortest verse. Uh, let's see how quickly they come up with it. Oh, so I was wrong on what I said. Interesting. I don't know. Come well, on. Well, to, to be help fair, me out here. To be fair, we can talk about the shortest verse in English in the New Testament, and we can talk about the shortest verse in Greek in the New Testament. Uh, <laughs> I mean, those are two different, two different okay. verses. Yeah, yeah. See if you, um, see if anybody comes up with either one here, real quickly, as we come to the end. I don't see anybody coming in yet with any any uh, suggestions here. Well, while while we wait for that, uh, if I can do a shout out here, we have a number of people who listen to this uh, webcast regularly. And among those who listen regularly and who's listening today is a woman whom I have not seen probably for 45 years, I think. It's been that long, maybe longer. Um, But just a shout out to Karen Gamend, who is a regular viewer of this webcast. I always like seeing her name pop up. Remember her fondly. Uh, Okay, the shortest verse. Uh, of course, John eleven thirty five, Jesus wept is what we would always say, right? That's what I said. Yeah. 
Yeah, but actually in Greek, that's three words and it's 16 letters. But in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, where it says always rejoice, it's just two words and 14 letters in Greek. <laughs> oh, repeat that again. First, what First is Thessalonians 5, 16. <laughs> so there are two verses that have two words in English, but one of them has three words in, in, in Greek. Yeah. Yeah, and more later. That's interesting. Leave it to our Hebrew scholar, our Greek scholar, to come up and give us the answer. To now that's real useful information, isn't it? It really is. <laughs> All right, guys. Listen, I really thank you for your participation today. I thank everyone in the audience. Glad you're able to join us today. We uh, look forward to seeing you again next week at Tuesday. And let you know, start sharing this link, BibleQuest.tv, with other people. We want to try to get our audience levels higher. Come on in. And as we get our audience levels higher, we get higher up on the search things. And you know how all that stuff works. So we want you to, if you could help us to get the word out about this uh, Bible Quest talk show. Thank you, guys. Have a great week and see you next time. Thanks, y'all. Bye-bye.